B.I. Shots Podcast, episode number 41. Well, hello, everyone. This is Michael Ivaliotis, and uh, this is the podcast devoted to the world of LabVIEW. With each episode, I bring you interviews, discussions, and share with you ideas for how you can take your LabVIEW development to the next level. Well, thank you all again for joining me on this episode of the VI Shots podcast. Uh, just to let you know, this is the third uh, or probably the fourth take of this intro that I've been doing today, um, but it's finally out there. And uh, today we're going to, sh- I'm going to play you um, the VI Shots live episode that we did, uh, which is called All About Actors. And uh, we did a VI Shots live, and, and for those of you that don't know, VI Shots Live basically is um, a gathering. Uh, it's uh, Jack Dunaway from Wirebird Labs and myself and uh, several guests. And we do it on Google+. Plus. So we do uh, Google Hangouts. And uh, basically it's a video and it's uh, broadcast live over YouTube. And we also take comments from the audience. So if you want to um, get notified when the next VI Shots Live is, and there is one coming up actually, which I'll get to in a sec. If you want to know when the next VI Shots Live is, you can find out by subscribing to the VI Shots mailing list. So go to vishots.com slash subscribe and get on the mailing list. And I usually send an email a couple of days before uh, we uh, go on the air with VI Shots Live. But uh, before I play that uh, recording, uh, I want to tell you about a change that's happening to the VI Shots podcast. And it's a, a change for the better. So previously, uh, the VS Shots podcast has uh, has been going on the air consistently for about every two weeks, uh, roughly. Now, for the past two or three months, uh, I realized that there has been no podcasts. And you're going to say, well, why? Why, Michael? Why were there no podcasts? Where have you been? We miss you. Well, at least I hope you're saying that. Well, um, Work. I got busy. So I got busy and got caught up in a lot of different projects, uh, a lot of different customer work, and also some development on VI Package Manager. So all of that has culminated into, you know, uh, putting the uh, the podcast aside for a while. But uh, I'm happy to say that it's back on track and it's going to be even better uh, because now instead of a two-week schedule, I'm going to a weekly schedule. That's right. VI Shots is going to be coming to you every week and uh, starting with this episode. And uh, the next episode will be next week. Uh, and hopefully it'll be every Monday uh, on a weekly basis. So that's that's the biggest change right now that I will be doing to the podcast is going from a bi-weekly um, to a weekly schedule. And there's a lot of content that I want to get out there to you guys and a lot of people I want to get on the show and interview and I'm really excited about going to the weekly schedule. Now currently it's July and uh, in about uh, two or three weeks we'll have NI Week 2014 and of course I will be there um, to see all the the new products and new software releases that NI has to offer and I'll be covering uh, NI Week 2014 with video. Uh, So this year, I'll be uh, putting out some videos from an iWeek, 
And if you go to vishots.com, you will uh, see those videos, and that's where I'll primarily be putting them. So I hope to see you at an iWeek, and if you see me walking by and uh, you want to say hi, feel free to do so. I'd love to uh, meet uh, all of you guys in person and find out who's listening to the show. Of course, the uh, the biggest community event that's going on at an iWeek is the Lava Barbecue. That's uh, the barbecue that's taking place uh, where all the community members that are members of the lavag.org website and forums uh, get together and uh, talk and have a great time. And we get to meet each other face-to-face and find out who all those people are <laughs> that uh, you talk to online. If you want more information about the Lava Barbecue uh, that's happening at an iWeek, you can go to lavag.org. That's L-A-V-A-G dot org slash B-B-Q. And uh, you can get information about uh, how to buy how to buy tickets for that and uh, meet everyone there at an iWeek. Now, uh, we're going to do a VI Shots Live uh, all about NIWeek, and that's coming up uh, July 30th. So July 30th, we're going to do a VI Shots Live, and uh, we're going to talk about some of the presentations that are going to be happening at NIWeek and some of the other events that are going on. And um, what we recommend, or what I recommend, <laughs> you uh, what sessions to see at NIWeek. Again, to find out exactly the, the, the time that that's happening, Go on our mailing list at vishots.com slash subscribe to find out, uh, to get on the mailing list to find out when that episode will be airing. Now, uh, let's get into the uh, recording. As I said, this episode is about the actor framework, uh, but I am of the opinion that uh, not a lot of people are actually using the actor framework. And, uh, you know, perhaps I'm wrong. And I'd like to find out how many people are using the actor framework. So, if you go to this episode's uh, show notes page, which is vishots.com slash 41, uh, go on there and leave a comment and let, let me know. Uh, are, you, are you using the actor framework? And how extensive is, is it? And how much are you using it in, in your projects? And if you're not using the actor framework, um, why? Is it because you just don't have time? You have your own system in place already and you're happy with it? Uh, is it hard to learn? Um, you know, uh, so let, let me know uh, in the comments of this episode of vishots.com slash 41. So without further ado, um, here is our actor framework discussion that we had on VI Shots Live. Today we have an awesome panel. Uh, I'd like to introduce uh, my guests. First of all, uh, I guess from the left, uh, in the Google Hangouts is Mr. Alan Smith, who's uh, known as NIACS on La- the Lava Forums. He's a senior systems engineer at National Instruments. He also was kind of the guinea pig, the guinea pig for uh, Actor Framework uh, at some point in the past. We've also had Alan on the show uh, on the VI Shots podcast. Uh, if you go to vishots.com slash 21, you'll see the previous interview with Alan uh, and Stephen Mercer that uh, we did about actor framework. Um, before National Instruments, uh, Alan, I, I noticed you had your own company for 10 years. You've worked for VI Engineering, and you've also, so you've kind of been a little bit of an independent contractor as well. Um, uh, Alan, welcome to the show. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I've been, uh, uh, this is, I just 
turned three at NI. Uh, prior to that, I had 16 years working either for, as you said, for my own uh, company or for other firms. Uh, my previous employer is actually a firm in, in Albuquerque called KTEC, and I was with them for six years. So, yeah, I've been around just a little bit. My, my first version of LabVIEW was uh, LabVIEW 252 way back in the day. Oh, you beat me. I'm uh, <laughs> LabVIEW 3.1, so... <laughs> Um, so well, some, sometime back in the 1900s, essentially. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The computers were steam powered. Um, <laughs> you know, it was all vacuum tubes and pneumatics. It was pretty awesome, actually. <laughs> also joining us uh, is uh, Dave Snyder, uh, who's known as Daclu on the uh, the Lava forums. I don't know where that the name Daclu comes from, but maybe he'll tell us. Uh, uh, Dave, I think. Your profile is updated because I noticed your lower thirds doesn't say Mexus Engineering anymore. Uh, but uh, you're an independent uh, consultant. You have your own company as well, working with LabVIEW for many years. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I, uh, I do have my own company, Mexus Engineering, uh, and I'm in the process of working closely with a company in Portland, uh, a well-established company called Endeavor Engineering. And uh, we're working on a merger right now, so... Ah, going so, forward, that's going to be uh, be my business. Oh, some some cool stuff coming out of kind of coming out of Dave soon. So we're looking forward to that. Um, also, uh, well, everyone knows Jack from uh, Wirebird Labs. Again, Jack, welcome. Hey, thanks. And we also have uh, Dr. James Powell, who's coming all the way from the UK, and uh, James this is the first time you've been on VI Shots and. Uh, you have uh, a long history with LabVIEW as well. Uh, on the Lava forums, you're known as DRJD Powell, and you've done... Uh, I'm, I'm not very good at coming up with uh, funny names. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you've, you've done a lot of... Uh, you've contributed a lot, a lot to the Lava CR, the, the code repository, uh, SQL, SQL Lite LabVIEW, uh, messaging... Uh, so there's there's some uh, content there that you've contributed, and uh, I guess the Lava Lava Forums thanks you for that. Uh, you've also worked in the past in uh, Lawrence Berkeley National Labs uh, many years ago, uh, working on some interesting projects, and uh, now they're now you're in the UK. Uh, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. And you also uh, have your own company as well, right? Well, I'm self-employed, which is uh, a way of having your own company. <laughs> <laughs> So, means so, I don't have to come up with logos and uh, fancy names. <laughs> you're you're known as yourself. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you all. We have. Uh, I'm I'm very honored to be uh, in the presence of all this uh, Lavi royalty here. Uh, we're basically trying to figure out uh, actor actor oriented design and development, and uh, one of the things that kind of instigated this this whole trend towards actor oriented development is the release from National Instruments of the Actor, actor Framework, which is, I guess, a framework which allows, us, allows you to do actor-oriented uh, development and programming. Now, uh, a lot of people out there uh, are not familiar with actor-oriented development, and sort of from a high level, can, uh, can someone describe or talk a little bit about what actor-oriented development is? 
Who wants to jump on that? I'll actually toss. I'll toss this one to Dave Snyder, uh, simply because Dave, I've seen uh, seen a couple of your presentations these past couple of years at CLA summits, and uh, you you talk about it at a pretty high level. Uh, so yeah, Dave, what what do you think AOD is? Uh, well, in my opinion, actuary programming is a a way to um, how do I say this? It's a way to robustly develop multi-threaded applications. It's a the actor model is a way of thinking about multi-threaded applications in a way that encourages you to uh, build them safely and avoiding race conditions at a high level. Yeah. That's kind of what it is. So, uh, yeah. so actor actor development, uh, I guess, is the concept. Could it be considered like a concept of uh, of components where components communicate with each other? Well, the, the the basic the basic idea in actor oriented design is that there's a your your language primitives, your your system primitives are um, they're actors. They are um, they embody data. Uh, functionality, and then they just, they run in their own thread, their own process. Um, these items, um, you know, you'll have a set of them in your application, and they will communicate through a set of messages. Um, and this is kind of the basis of of actuality design is is building these systems efficiently. Um, if you, for those of you who aren't that familiar with actors, if you think about your own work with queued message handlers, uh, as as Dave has actually has rightly pointed out, we've been writing actors in LabVIEW for a decade. Uh, we haven't necessarily been doing them well. You know, some of them, some of them have been, some systems have been great, some not so great. Some people have had good success. Others have stumbled over some of the more obvious or less obvious uh, uh, hangups that can get you. Um, but we've been working toward this uh, for uh, most of the existence of LabVIEW, and we just haven't necessarily put the name to it. And so I, I would actually, uh, since you're talking, Alan, I'd like to ask more about this process of putting a name to it, because I I recall uh, going to a session at NI Week. I believe it may have been NI Week 2010 or 2011, and it, it was a session by uh, yourself and Stephen Mercer, where you were in industry and you had this problem, and then mm -hmm. uh, Stephen was coming in and trying to uh, help you how to. Uh, figure out how to solve this problem. And this is, uh, if if I were to put a point in time on when the word actor first came into our vocabulary as LabVIEW developers, it might have even been your session. Can you tell us a little bit about that session? Do, do you recall? <laughs> Uh, there have been so many. So much of what I do is is you know in my role here at SE is is to to talk to people. Um, I'm trying to recall my timeline, and it would have been the very first presentation on Actor Framework would have been 2011, and I think that was strictly Stevens. I think I was in the audience to support him, and then we did a joint session in 2012. I, I may be getting my my timeline wrong here. Um, but yeah, that was that was the rollout of Actor Framework. Uh, that was around the time. Uh, so like the first releases to Community were in 2000. I think it might have been no, it might have been 2010, 2011, somewhere in there. It is hard to remember. Um, 
But yeah, I had been, and this kind of goes to what I was saying earlier, I have been, in the course of my LabVIEW development, working toward, I was writing actors before I knew what the term was. Uh, I had queued message handlers sending messages, and I was dealing with the concurrency problem. Uh, I had used a number of uh, tools to uh, to make that process easier, including the old Indivo uh, Goop toolkit. Uh, was probably my, my most successful pre-actor framework <laughs> effort to write actors was using well, actually was based on that, um, and I had I had been wanting I'd been wanting to get away from the third-party toolkit just because of some customer requirements that I had at the time, and so I was trying really to roll that into uh, just straight up LabVIEW, and I had uh, I had recently moved to Austin at that point, and had presented at the local user group on uh, one of my attempts to do that. And, and Stephen had approached me and said, that design is the bane of my existence, which uh, led to uh, <laughs> he and I collaborating. And I had a specific industry problem. We were making a, a – it was actually a, a battery, um, uh, one of the early uh, 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 smart grid uh, battery systems. And uh, I was doing some of the early design on that. And Stephen and I got together, and he laid out uh, his ideas uh, for Actor Framework. And, and mostly my early role was in vetting those ideas and, you know, satisfying for myself that, you know, it would scale, that we could build a real system out of that. Um, and right. that's, that was sort of the genesis of it. Yeah, I, I, I do recall now more of this presentation. It was Stephen's presentation, and mm -hmm. he ended up asking you so many questions in the audience that it almost became a co-presentation uh, because you were talking about the system that you had been co-developing uh, together. So I, I can uh, I can agree with the thing that you said, is that we were doing it even prior to calling it actors. However, uh, the fact that you guys were able to present this term actor, uh, which is a, a word that we're all familiar with, just with the English language, however, it's new in the lexicon of like LabVIEW programming. Uh, we now have this term that we can uh, Google and you can type in actor programming and then find a whole wealth of resources. Um, that are in addition to what we've already been doing. So I see that kind of as a turning point, at least for me personally, uh, when you guys introduce this new word to characterize this practice that we'd already been doing. Uh, James, uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Like when you first learned this word actor and your transition from where you were to where you are now? Well, my background toward coming towards actors is really towards from having many times to do some kind of parallel process that was in charge of like one piece of equipment and had to have some kind of active life of its own. And I would go through various, various ways of communicating back and forth with it. The first one was very much using VI server and was very kind of crude. And I gradually moved towards moving queues. And I actually developed something I just called a parallel process. That's all I called it, parallel process, as a framework for doing actor-like things. And then when I learned about the actor framework, I just stole the uh, the terminology lock, stock, and barrel because <laughs> it's basically the same thing. I don't know if you can steal something that was actually <laughs> in the CS literature before any of us were working in our careers. So uh, I, I think stealing is probably the wrong term. But anyway, I, right. I was already working towards that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Understanding the, the idea of sending a having a single queue to a process, and I should just say that the, uh, the important things about the actor actor programming to, to, to start off with is that you're, you've got many different components communicating and you want to have a standardized communication method. 
and a single communication method because we could all communicate between processes with all sorts of things, DVRs, functional globals, uh, notifiers, multiple queues, and standardizing on a single method allows you to handle the kind of increased, the increased complexity of having independent processes running at the same time. And then also the part of the actor framework is that this standardized process be messages as opposed to other things. And right. that's the basic part of the framework is that you're communicating solely or at least almost solely by messages. So since you bring up this word messages, message is a very specific uh, definition of what a message is. Because when we're talking about data just flowing throughout an application, there are all sorts of different kinds of data. Can you, uh, in, actually I'd like to round robin through Alan, uh, Dave, and James and hear everyone's definition of message. What is a message uh, with relation to just all of the data flowing in your program? Uh, well, to me, a message is it's just that. It's a, it's a piece of data that I'm going to give to another actor. Uh, something maybe that has changed. In, if I'm an actor, something has changed in my world. Uh, a temperature has changed, or I've received a new piece of data from uh, some data acquisition hardware. And I'm going to package that up, and I'm going to send it to another actor uh, on the assumption that that other actor will do something intelligent with it. I don't necessarily know what, uh, but, it, but I trust that it will, it will do... Uh, something intelligent in the context of the system. And that's really all it is. It's just some sort of an announcement or maybe a request. It's like, hey, I would like you to, to you know, do something with this piece of data. Uh, change your set point would be lovely uh, if you choose to do that. Um, so, so in that regard, the message encapsul encapsulates both the data and even um, an expectation of behavior. So the message is also behavior, perhaps? Um. As written in the actor framework, that's that's the way it works out. But in terms of design, that's not really the best way to think about it. It really is. I don't know for sure. Um, I, I know I'm sending it to an actor. I know I'm sending it to probably actually at the point of send. I don't even know much about the actor at all. Um, messages tend to be tied to receivers in actor framework. Uh, so there is that implication that, that some behavior is going to happen. But uh, in terms of sort of an architectural view of the system, any given actor doesn't really know what another actor is going to do with a piece of data. I know it will do something. There's some response that it will give me. That response could be a null response, but it will it will do something. Um, there's there's an implication that something will be done with the data, but it's not specified what. Actually, it's it's good. Uh, well, proper design says that you're not really supposed to know what the actor does. <laughs> you're, not, you're not supposed to know the internals of the actor, really. You can know a bit like uh, an you know object. The high level behavior of what the actor will do, and as a developer, you have to know that in order to to know which messages to send it. Uh, but Michael is right. There's encapsulation, and and there's a lot of the details that you don't need to know. So, because uh, we were talking uh, earlier that you know we've been doing actor programming, we just didn't know about it, but were we doing it? Properly, like were we were we following the proper actor design principles or whatever? Because uh, I mean, when you sometimes people would send messages, and they already know what's going on inside of the 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 process that they're sending to, so they're sending messages ba on that assumption that they know what's going on in there, and they say, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm activating this uh, part of the code in that process, right?" Uh, but you're not really supposed to know that, right? It's. I, I would say, to answer the first part of your question, that uh, for my own part, I don't think I was doing it 
all that correctly. <laughs> uh, I know that I, I was often making assumptions about what the receiving actor would do with the data. Um, and, and it's, it's it, so in case uh, some of our readers, our listeners don't know, uh, I am in the process of writing an official actor framework course for NI. And we've been, been piloting it. So we've been going out and, and actually teaching this course material to folks. And I've had the question come up, the, the you know, you're having a conversation of I'm going to send this message to this other actor, and, and who is the I, and and the point of view really matters. Obviously, as developers, we know what our systems and what our components are supposed to be doing, and so it can be a real struggle for some of us, uh, more so than just depending on on you know time of day and how much sleep I've had, to to pull that apart so I can say yes, this actor sending this message does not get to know or make any assumptions about what's happening in this other actor. Except that I, as the developer, do actually know, and so you know, enforcing that. Um, um, oh, what's a good word for that? En enforcing that encapsulation uh, can be difficult. Uh, just mentally, just when you're thinking about your system design. Right, and that's not unlike, uh, say, published APIs for uh, web APIs for HTTP services, uh, where they will say, this is the data structure that you can send to this endpoint, and then we'll send you this data structure back in the regard of, you know, uh, approximately what the API should look like at any given time and, and what the data is you should pipe into it and what the data you're going to be piped back from, uh, without necessarily being statically linked to the uh, implementation of that behavior. For instance, if you have an API uh, that is wrapping, or if you have an actor service who is wrapping a database, uh, whenever you make a call into that database, you can send a data structure that would then interact with the database through its connector. Uh, so that behavior is statically linked uh, to the database connector without you yourself having to statically link to that database connector or know things like database connection strings. All you need to know is how to uh, structure your queries to this service uh, such that it can then implement the behavior and send you a response. So I, I think uh, that's one of the areas where I had a tough problem prior to really studying what actors were is uh, having these static linkages in places where they shouldn't have necessarily existed. Like on the client side, client side, you're linking to business logic that truly should have been perfectly encapsulated within the actor. And the only interface you have back and forth with, it, with that actor is pure data. Uh, so it was tough making this uh, leap into being able to encapsulate um, not only state, but also behavior. Being able to encapsulate both of those things was a tough jump uh, to get into actor-oriented, like true, pure actor-oriented development. But is it, can I just break in here? Yeah. The actor is sort of making like a contract. It says, I will respond to these messages, and I will either do it. So if I say change your set point to 100C, I will either change set point to 100C or I will throw an error in by whatever method your framework uses for errors. So it's fulfilling a contract. You don't know the details of how it's fulfilling that contract. You could swap out a different actor that fulfilled the same contract and you wouldn't know the difference. But you still do know things. You still assume things about what the actor is going to do. Uh, exactly. And I think that gets into the uh, concept of the published API. Not necessarily the public API, but the published API is what you're calling a contract. It says, if you send me these things, then I will fulfill this contract in some regards. I may fail, and I'll let you know that I fail, or I may uh, time out, and you may detect that through your own client timeout mechanism. However, uh, this is how you should expect I would behave based on this contract. 
Yeah, but you can also say, you can expect an actor to say, I will reply, or however you have replies in your system, I will reply to you. It might be an error message that says, you know, go away, I'm not interested in talking to you, but right. I still will reply. You can have things like that. Right, and that's part of the contract. So, so James, are you using actors exclusively or actor design exclusively? I use my own framework called messaging, okay. which is different than the actor framework. It's more a string-based. It's like Daklu. Sorry, Dave's... Uh, where's Dave gone? <laughs> Dave is, Dave, Dave, we just lost Dave. Okay, he'll be back. Okay, it's, like, it's not like Dave's. It's a totally unique thing, well, not only to me, <laughs> of using strings. So it's, but it's also, at the end, entirely message-based with sort of request reply and publishing of messages and stuff. And I use that when I can, because it's my own package. And so I don't feel if I'm brought into a project that I can say, oh, let's link to this whole new package of mine. So sometimes I have to go back to building an actor-like thing by itself. And that's when I relearn the value of having a framework. <laughs> because you run into all sorts of bugs. You're, oh, yeah, this kind of bug and this kind of race condition. And, oh, I've got to rework it because of this. And how much easier it would be if I could just use my old template. It would have been five minutes. And I just, and I just spent 40 hours recreating that. That was, that was a lot of fun, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's worth pointing out that there are, I mean, you know, the three of us, you know, Dave's got his own. Uh, mechanisms as well. You know, James has his system that we use, obviously, and, and I say this as an advocate for actor framework. Um, the you know, AF's a tool. Uh, the the importance is the actor-oriented design concept because I think that really is sort of a quintessential lab view. And I think what you have here are three different uh, three different individuals uh, who have approached that problem and developed something that works for them in their contexts. But we really are doing essentially the same kind of work so so dave dave dave's back oh, we got him uh can we hear him or can you hear me hey, yes i can hear yeah. you okay so okay. uh i was just asking james i'll ask you the same question so you're how how much are you using actor into development in your applications and or do you have your own actor framework uh i don't have a framework i have a uh methodology i guess i call it agile actors and i don't have a framework because uh, the framework, uh, whenever you use a framework, there are compromises that you make. And, um, and I haven't found a compromise that works for all my clients. Uh, so I essentially build uh, my actors from scratch, and I've developed a method that is, I can do that easily and quickly, and there's not a lot of overhead to it. Uh, one thing I do use is a common messaging system, and, and that is Lapdog. So, um, but even that is really independent of actors in general so, so so lapdog is something that you develop to to communicate between your actors lapdog is is simply just a messaging library that i use to communicate between parallel loops it became what i use to communicate between my actors as i progressed from and learned about okay parallel processes and parallel loops and and i progressed and developed those into what i now call my actors is there uh so both you and james maybe you can get, give some feedback to alan here or, uh, uh what what is the reason why uh you know actor framework the one as presented by an eye is not kind of your preferred method uh, well, I've mentioned this many times on the forums, uh, but I, <laughs> I don't want to take this as me being overly critical of the actor framework. Um, I don't use it because it doesn't fit my needs. 
the actor framework was developed with the specific idea of preventing users from doing certain things Stephen Mercer had found users doing that created problems. I developed uh, my development methodology. Uh, I don't have those problems. So the protections that are built into the actor framework don't help me uh, in any way. And it's actually takes me more time to work around them to try and accomplish what I want to accomplish. Yeah, and one thing that I could uh, point out on this also is that, uh, well, first of all, you were mentioning the forums that you use. So if you go to, Alan, can you uh, just say a URL? And we could actually even link to that on this show once we put it on the show page. Uh, but is it ni.com slash actor framework? ni.com slash actor framework is our community site. Okay, perfect. And, so this and, community site, uh, I'll go ahead and put a plug in there. It has 500 members, and every one of us on the panel is uh, active in this site, and there are lots of fantastic uh, conversations that happen there. Uh, I, I truly believe, and I've said this to Alan and Stephen and uh, Matthew Pollack, the guys working on the Actor Framework, that it is one of the most important products that we have in uh if not the most important product that we have in the LabVIEW community today, uh, because what it's doing is it's bringing us all together in this common conversation of trying to figure out how to move our community forward uh, with this actor-oriented development. I think that all all five of us on this panel would undeniably say that, yes, actor-oriented actor development is a good thing, and we all have handfuls of spaghetti that we're throwing at the wall <laughs> trying to figure out which, which of it is sticking to the wall. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would put a plug for uh, the actor framework as having, one, a fantastic community that you can go on and read lots of uh, good, deep conversations, uh, but also just as one of these things that's completely uniting us uh, in this goal of trying to figure out what is moving forward. Uh, and a another thing that we've seen through actor framework is its, uh, its feature velocity over the past three years has been fantastic. Its ability to change... Um, compared to, say, uh, other other types of products, uh, its ability to take in this community feedback, like, uh, James, tell us recently about the thing that you suggested that ended up making it into uh, Actor Framework Core. Uh, which one was that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, exactly. That's that's such a great response. I'm thinking specifically about launch uh, top level versus oh, launch... Yeah. Uh, Oh, that was a suggestion I made that when I first looked at the Actor Framework, one of the problems was that the Actor Framework is really designed for actors launching actors launching actors. And when you get to the top level, you end up with boilerplate, the kind of fake launch an actor. So right. you pretend you're an actor, you launch an actor, and then you throw away the stuff that made you look like you were an actor. <laughs> and trying to figure all that out was very confusing. And that for a beginner, a normal Levy program will look at the top level and try and figure out what's going on. Because that's the top level, your launch, your little launch method. Mm -hmm. And it's very confusing, it kind of throws people off. And so clearing that up, as they've done now, makes it kind of invites people in. Because you can see, oh, I launch an actor. That's, that's easy. As opposed to I build this and do that and make that from that and then launch it and then throw everything away. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So basically what you did is you introduced one new type of, or you suggested one new type of syntax that would match the two type of semantics that we have, whereas in the past we used this one syntax to achieve both semantics where one was kind of confusing. Yeah, uh, so that, that's that's why, there's a lot of boilerplate. 
Right. <laughs> I'd like to uh, in, jump in here and mention that we have uh, quite a few people asking questions, which is awesome. And uh, so I'd just uh, like to jump into that a little bit. Uh, we have Neil Pate, who was in our previous uh, VI Shots Live episode, asking, uh, why is debugging actor-based systems or any message-based system so, <laughs> such a pain? <laughs> and uh, there's a follow-up question to that uh, from Casey May, who says, uh, regarding Neil's point, there was some hinting that there might be some tools coming to ease these pains. Can anyone talk about that at this point? So, so well, de I, debugging, I just... debugging actors is hard, and are there tools to help us? Can I just step in one moment? Because I don't know the debugging tools of the actor framework. But one of the advantages, if you follow the actor, actor kind of oriented design, is you have components that talk only with messages. And you can mm -hmm. easily build some kind of test apparatus mm -hmm. that creates it, sends it some messages, receives some responses, and makes sure that it's behaving correctly. So you can do most of your debugging on a component by component level before you put them together. Because if you try to debug something with seven inter interacting components all running at the same time, it's extremely difficult just because that's extremely difficult regardless of how you do it. And that is actually something that I have been pressing hard and is a, a major point in the debugging portion of the course that I'm writing is you know test your actors outside the context of the system, test them by themselves uh, as best you can. Um, it, is, it is a hard problem. Part of it is that uh, so many LabVIEW developers uh, want to have, and I think this, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, but this is actually a part of, of, of why you uh, use your own designs, is that you put it all in one block diagram, and you can see it, or, or large portions of it, running at one time. And most LabVIEW developers want to do that. They want to put it all together and run it, and follow the wires and follow the data. And that's not appropriate for a, a massively parallel system. You have too many moving parts. Uh, so that is a hang-up. Uh, also, you get into you get into challenges with um, if you're going to have more than one instance of a given actor, you have a lot of reentrant VIs, which have their own special uh, debug challenges. So, uh, really, and this is you know, act, actor framework in particular, and other types of actor systems just in general bring a lot of these problems, a lot of these challenges together in one place, and they can add up to uh, uh, some difficulty. Um, but James is absolutely right. You need to test your actors by themselves and guarantee that they work, uh, and then put them together and watch their behavior together. Uh, anything unusual you see after that unit testing is, is going to be in the relationships, and you're going to constrain where the problem could be as opposed to, you know, I don't know if it's in this actor or that actor or if it's the message itself or whatever. Um, but we see people, I mean, we see people struggle with this in all massively concurrent LabVIEW systems. Uh, even if they're using traditional queued message handlers as actors, uh, they can be they can be difficult to follow. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a complex problem, and I don't think any programming language is really immune to it. Can I, I just can... say, one, one of the things about the actor using an actor is that you're voluntarily restricting yourself to one method of communication. Mm -hmm. So you're not, you don't have a message queue and a DVR of your central data and a mm -hmm. notifier saying stop. You've just got one, one entry point where all the information comes in. So if mm -hmm. you have a problem, you can actually look at that entry point and see the information coming in and know the order of information. Well, if you have many things going on at once, you can't really tell, did this arrive before that, and what did that do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can give one more very specific tip on that uh, to help even further constrain it, is ensure that every single one of your messages uh, has no active references inside of it. Make sure that it, it is only pure 
data, and this oh, yeah. is for several reasons. I can I can list a few different reasons. Uh, number one, when you are shipping a reference from one place to another, uh, that reference is very likely some type of an active object, like a queue, for instance. A queue is a, so, a sort of active object, and by uh, leaking this abstraction, what should be an abstraction contained within one actor, leaking it into another actor, uh, you you get into the same problem of having mutable state in multiple different places. Uh, so this behavior has leaked across, this state has leaked across. Right. Another very real problem is you have eliminated the ability uh, of this concept of location transparency of actors. Because when we talk about an actor, we talk about a system that should, in theory, kind of be able to exist on whether it be RT, whether it be uh, your desktop application, a separate application instance within the same desktop. Uh, maybe it's even on some remote machine running on a cloud instance. Uh, however, as soon as you ship a reference into a different application instance, you must dereference at some point to turn this thing into something you can use. And the scope of that reference is not even valid in this other in this other new application instance in this other scope. Uh, so not not only is it harder because of this leaky abstraction to debug, you are narrowing your ability to move parts of your system around. Uh, and, and have that flexibility. So um, I, I would say that one thing you should actively, actively shoot for is try to make sure that all of your messages are purely by value and can be copied and uh, have no components that are by ref. This, by the way, is not my own advice. This is the advice coming from what is perhaps the largest uh, actor-oriented framework in the entire world in any language. It's a framework called Akka. Uh, you can Google A-K-K-A, Akka. Uh, it's written for Scala and also in Java. Um, but just to give you an example of the size of this, it's, it's an open source deal that has uh, 2,500 stars and over 600 forks. Uh, so apparently 600 different developers have forked this repository to then create their own uh, versions of Akka. And what they uh, very strongly suggest is that by doing this, uh, you are not violating some of what they consider the core principles of actor-oriented development. Would you guys agree with that? Making uh, pure by, by value is, is good for debugging helps out? Jack, I, I had never considered sending a reference between two actors. <laughs> uh, I th actually, it's not entirely true. I did actually do a, a rendezvous at one point, but that's a, a, a really good point, and can I steal that for the course? Oh, yeah, can absolutely. I, can I just say that I break that rule? Uh, <laughs> I break okay. that rule knowing that I'm breaking a rule and knowing uh -huh. understanding and, what I'm breaking. I break it for cameras and iMac image references. And that's right. just because there isn't an easy way to deal with them by value. To get yeah. a frame instead of by value is a pain. That's so I understand that I'm throwing things away by doing that. Right. So I understand the rules before I break them. That's and actually an interesting concept. I'd like to take offline and develop that even further. However, uh, that does open up the opportunity for this other concept of a new unit of concurrency. So, for instance, we don't say actor is the only unit of concurrency. 
uh, we also have this thing called a worker. And a worker is uh, completely owned by exactly one actor. That oh. way you, you can have this more intimate interaction uh, between this asynchronous process. However, a worker is both a subset and a superset of what, it, what an actor is simply because of new, uh, new rule sets that you apply upon this worker. And uh, it, just going back to frameworks in general, uh, and Alan, to, to, to build up your point of the value of frameworks, is when you do have this shared terminology of exactly what things are, like actor versus worker, uh, you're able to communicate uh, system design very, very quickly to other developers who share the same vocabulary with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, if you're having, you're like, oh, I'm having problems with this actor who's trying to share this iMac reference, and then you could say, oh, just make it a worker. And James is like, oh yeah, that's it, thanks. And you know, he goes off and does uh, does the work uh, that I solves. I can't always the do that sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But what I do, yeah, what exactly. I do is that uh, even if I'm sharing, say, a camera reference, one actor is in charge of the camera. It's probably called camera because that's right. his entire job is to look after the camera. It. Manages the camera, it's in charge of the camera. Someone else may have the right to get a frame from the camera, but that's mm-hmm. all they do. So I'm, I'm keeping knowledge of who owns the reference, even if I'm letting someone else use it for a limited purpose. See, and I think in that case, what I would do uh, is I would wrapper that reference up in in another uh, class that very specifically limited. So what, I, so what I give you is not that reference directly. I mean, you have it, but it's buried in code that you can't access. And what you have is three or four VIs that are the things that I will permit you to do. Um, yeah, I thought of that. Message, that's what the message queues are in Actor Framework, is it, they are just exactly. wrapped up LabVIEW queues, but I only let you put things on the queue, or I only let this other guy take things off the queue. Right, um, a, a priority queue. If you're, uh, if you're a lone developer doing all the code, or if you have to work with many other developers, it makes a difference. do you put in the effort to do all these wrappers? Well, there's, there is a saying that one should write code on the assumption that the person who's going to maintain it is a homicidal maniac who knows where you live. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but but you're right. I mean, obviously, we have to take into consideration our circumstances. And um, you know, can you protect yourself administratively, or do you need to do it specifically in code? And that's yeah, the, that the is important thing is to understand that you're breaking a rule and why yes. the rule exists. Because uh, if you exactly. don't know the rules, you're just breaking the rules left, right, and center. Like, why don't I just share a DVR for this key piece of data between these two right. people? <laughs> Exactly. Knowing what the trade-offs are, you're able to intelligently figure out where you trade off. Mm -hmm. Uh, So let's move on to the next uh, question. Uh, Can I say one more thing on debugging before I move on? And that is just a a last tip, and real quick, and then I'll go. Uh, The Desktop Execution Trace Toolkit is is or should be your close personal friend when you're (laughs) building these systems, Um, especially if you're using uh, uh, Generate User Trace uh, as a way to follow uh, data moving around your system. So um, I've been getting that advice a lot from people who've uh, that I trusted have been using it, and I've been starting to use it myself, and I can't recommend it enough. So moving on. <laughs> so uh, we you mentioned that you know breaking some of the rules uh, is not good, and we should avoid that. So what what are the rules uh, with act oriented design or development? Um, well, the first I, well, is don't share references. <laughs> don't, share, don't share references. So there, there are certain things that uh, actors can do, right? They can ac- actors can create more actors if they want, right? Mm-hmm. So actors can create more actors. Um, 
they can send messages to other actors mm-hmm. that they know the address of that they know the address of and they can designate uh what they're going to do with the next message they receive uh apparently and these are these are axioms that that are been published online of you know what an actor is but what that really doesn't tell me everything i need to know about you know what what the rules are is is that all that i can do with actors uh, well, you have to you have to realize that uh, the point of frameworks like this is that you're having limits in order to simplify your complex problem of many interacting components. So you're you're accepting limits, doing things in a standardized, simple way, so that you can gain benefits in understanding your complex system. And ben- and benefits from I guess you know seeing at a high level that you're treating this as as this one entity without necessarily knowing what's going on inside. And that way, I guess you can keep it decoupled from other, other actors. Yeah, other components it's coupling here. a cohesion. The, the actor is a cohesive unit, relatively low coupled to other actors. Yeah. Uh, I would say that the, the, the primary purpose of an actor framework, anybody's actor framework, is, is mostly to, to enforce that cohesion and those communications rules. What happens inside the actor is up to the designer of the actor. You know, what happens in actor core stays in actor core, is how I like to put it. Um, so you can do whatever you need to do to get your job done. You, you assign responsibilities to an actor uh, when you're designing your system. And then you, uh, you, you add um, whatever methods you want to handle data coming in from the outside world. Uh, you can add helper loops, the workers that uh, Jack was talking about, to an actor to solve specific problems. Uh, uh, Dave's presentations had a really nice discussion of different kinds of helper loops, uh, metronomes, or you know, user interface loops, or what have you. Um, so whatever you need to do inside of an actor to to, to do the work of that actor is is fine. Uh, where your framework is going to constrain you is, you know, in that messaging between your actors. And Dave actually made to uh, his presentation, and I'll let him talk to these. He brings up two principles uh, of messaging that I think are pretty critical. And we've touched on them briefly uh, to understanding uh, how those messages work and how you should expect them to work. Dave, do you want me to mention them, or do you want to take it over since it was your presentation? Uh, My presentation uh, a long time ago, so (laughs) kick it off and I'll fill in the pieces. Okay. Well, the 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 first principle, the you know, for that first rule, is that uh, a message is a um, uh, it's an announcement or a request. It's never a command. Um, I'm going to to tell you that I would like to set point to change, or I'm going to advise you that my own state has changed in some way. Um, I'm going to trust that you'll do something intelligent with it, with that information, but I don't necessarily know what. Um, And we talked about that earlier. And then the second, of course, is that the receiving actor can respond uh, to that message uh, how it wants to. Um, it's 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 self-deterministic. Uh, it will take that data and will hopefully do something intelligent, but it really is up to that receiving actor. And and these are things that you have to keep in mind when you're building your when you're building out your system because that defines that really defines in any actor system how your actors talk to each other. Um, you can get into real trouble. Um, actor framework supports reply messages. Most other frameworks allow for them in some way, but you can get yourself in real trouble with a message where I'm going to tell you to do something and I'm going to wait for your response. So you really want to have that, here's an announcement. Um, I trust you'll do something useful with that information. Mm-hmm. So uh, Alan touched on a couple things there. Um, 
the the second point uh, is really getting into the independence of actors, and it's important to understand that each actor is entirely independent and self-deterministic. And what I've seen in a lot of QSM, traditional QSM designs, um, is, is one loop or one uh, actor, one process directly controlling or expecting to, direct, to directly control a, another process. And in reality, that just often does not work very well, and it doesn't scale very well. So this whole notion of, of each actor being completely independent and each message being a request is an important aspect of being able to build complex concurrent systems uh, and have them perform reliably and robustly. Mm -hmm. And one way that that actually manifests itself is you're going to see timeouts on a lot of different methods. Like whenever you send a request and you're expecting a reply. Uh, also, whenever you send that request, you're going to have a timeout associated with that. What is a reasonable amount of time that I as a client would expect that that server actor to reply within? Because I think another very valid of an actor is no response at all. Uh, mm -hmm. that, could, that could be... Uh, not by design, that could be by design. Maybe your API simply says, uh, you tell me things and I will never respond to those. Uh, it, it just all depends on what that published API, what that published contract of the actor is. And I think that even gets into a framework decision, like uh, what all your framework necessarily supports. Like Alan, I think you were saying that actor framework does support replies. However, uh, you would also deduce that that means that it also supports sending messages without uh, having replies sent back to the calling calling entity. Yeah, I, I'm, I will take credit for the reply message template being a part of Actor Framework, and I fully accept that uh, they are to be avoided. Um, they're like bullets. If oh, you really? Them, if you, yeah, really. Um, uh, the preferred model is that I'm going, you know, actor A is going to send a message to actor B, and then actor A is going to go about its business waiting, f and it's not going to wait for a message to come back from B. It will accept a message from B, it'll accept a reply, but it's not going to wait. Can I just uh, break that's, that's our, that's our preferred model. What you're talking about there is a synchronous where I send, I wait uh, yes. to reply. Exactly. You yeah. get a synchronous reply where you say, here, do this, mm -hmm. and I'll oh, send me a message back when you're done. Exactly. Those the, the synchronous messages carry hazards, mostly having to do with deadlock or performance. Uh, there are times when they are unavoidable, and that's why that's why AF supports them, and that's why I think they probably need to be a part of, of any actor framework, anybody else's actor framework. Um, I'm working with some customers who are using actor framework with test stand, and test stand is a procedural. You know, test and sequences are procedural. They talk to a piece of you know a piece of code, and they will wait for a response. So you have to have a reply message for those. But if you're not working in that context, I would avoid them. Um, you know, if you need them, nothing else will do. But if you if you can if there's a better way, if there's another way to do it, it's probably a better way. In, uh, if, in I see, if I see timeouts waiting for a reply, that's going to be a code smell for me. <laughs> in my framework, I have uh, I can send a reply. Replies is central to, the, to mm. how it works. Uh, I can send it and then it get an asynchronous reply. And I have a method that actually will time out an asynchronous reply. So I can send a message, say, if you don't send me a message back in 10 seconds, I will get an error message instead. And then I go off and do whatever I want. 
And if it doesn't come, then I get the error message and I can trigger what I need to do because I didn't receive the reply. Right. So it's Go possible to do reply messages with timeouts fully asynchronously. Right. Going so, back to Akka, they have two different uh, semantics. One is the ask and then one is the tell. Tell is simply where you say, I'm going to send a message and I don't expect a reply back. I'm simply telling you something as an actor. The ask, uh, there are two flavors of that. There's the synchronous ask, where it will that ask method for a async ask which is uh, i'm going to go ahead and s i'm going to give you this information but i'm going to go do my own looping stuff while i'm waiting for that reply which is going to roll back in asynchronously and i think that's what you were saying alan uh like the test and execution engine unfortunately just does not have this concept of this uh asynchronous ability it's procedural and it's sequential mm -hmm. and you must sit there and block until you get this reply from the lab view right. actor yeah. Right, and I that, that it's that blocking that I would very much want to avoid. Uh, mm. If you have a situation where it's like, okay, I, what if you send two ask messages? Two actors send each other ask messages, or I send you an ask, or you know, I send you an ask message, and 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 part of your work of answering that is to send me an, an ask message. Now we're deadlocked, uh -huh. and it's one of the ways that people can get in well, trouble. Yeah, let's not forget that in this type of system, everything is an actor, so you are an actor. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so you're accepting messages from other people, so you have to be ready for that. Exactly. Um, I just exactly. want to. I just want to. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, in in when I do actors, I use synchronous messaging, some reply messaging, some of the time, but I almost never let a sub actor launched by an actor have the ability to actually send a message directly to its caller. So it's mm -hmm. impossible for the sub actor to ever actually do a synchronous, to ever actually say, actually send me a message other than in reply to a message or in some kind of published information. And so, so that's, that's how a, I avoid that. The sub actor doesn't know about its caller, so it never really can actually do a command response to it. It doesn't know about it. It just it mm -hmm. just receives commands and replies to them. And so that's a convention, or is that enforced by the uh, compiler? Will it actually break? It's not enforced. But it's the convention, so the whole the whole API is designed towards that. Right. And, and that, right, exactly. And and that even gets towards the question, like, you know, we've all get, got these handfuls of spaghetti, you know, how are we gonna how are we gonna find which one of these things end up sticking? And that, and uh, actors actors can send messages to themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's where it gets interesting. That's that's a good question. So <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I generally discourage actors, or, or, or I don't do it in my own programming, but in the actor model, that is certainly possible. Yeah, and again, I think that's a convention. I think that's where uh, you have to just agree on, in the context of whatever framework it is we're talking about, whether we're talking about actor framework or agile actors or mm -hmm. uh, or Featherweight or Lapdog or uh, James, your messaging library. The question is, what are the conventions? What do we want to say? Can I just say there's a there's a key difference between a message and an operation that you might queue up. So a lot of state machine, queued state machine structures are actually queuing up operations on themselves. So do this ah. part, then this part, then this part. And uh, when you send a message, inherently other people can send you messages at the same time. So you're going to have messages that interleave with each other. So if you start sending operations, operations are little bits that are not themselves atomic that have to have another mm -hmm. operation right after them. So yeah. they do this little part, and in that part, this must happen next. You can't put that on a message queue because you've got many writers, and you'll end up with little race conditions. 
Anything right. you send as a message must be, this is an atomic complete message that you can execute in full, and it, it doesn't require a specific message to follow it. Uh, exactly. And again, that's that's the framework. What what does the framework allow? Does it have this separate concept of an incoming message queue and then also a separate um, job queue or you, you might say operation queue? Uh, so a, lot so, of, uh, a lot of designs of so-called QSMs mix that they use the same queue for both. Right. They're uh, conflated into the same. And, and in that case, of course, if you want to trigger additional jobs or additional operations to happen, say, from one message, uh, then you must have this concept of self-enqueuing. However, uh, if you do have this one level of indirection uh, of one message being able to trigger, say, three job queue or the uh, operation queue, then you don't necessarily have to have the concept of self-enqueuing messages. There would not necessarily be this desire to send yourself messages simply because you can enqueue jobs uh, to, to maintain your local operations. You can still do messages, but you have to think about it. You can't just willy-nilly put in everything. Right. <laughs> and the big problem with operations is if you put do A, do B, do C, as a queue, then 99.99 times out of 100, those will execute one, two, three. But very, very rarely, a message will happen at the same time that gets right in the middle, and you do A, some other thing, B, C, and that causes you a very rare bug that you'll never, you'll never be able to debug. Uh, the, the concept even of atomicity and transactions, that's a good topic yes. altogether. Yes. <laughs> so and we've got, I, we've I, got I, one... I bring up the concept of an ACID database. Atomic, uh, consistent, isolated, forget the durable part. And durable, as yeah. applicable to actors. Because you got to think right, about exactly. consistency and isolation and atomic atomicity. So, exactly. So I'd, I'd love to continue discussing actors <laughs> and isolation and communication and all this awesome stuff. But unfortunately, we're, uh, we're at the end of our one hour, uh, which has just flown by. Um, yes. I'd like to uh, I'd like to thank uh, our guests, uh, Alan Smith. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'd like to thank uh, Dave Snyder. Thank you very much. And uh, I'd like to thank uh, Dr. James Powell. Oh, thank you. And uh, of course, Jack Dunaway. Uh, thank you, Jack. Yeah, you bet. And uh, just to throw out there, this is a conversation that I definitely don't necessarily want to stop right now. Uh, this is a conversation that us five on the on the panel are constantly <laughs> having on the forums and also in our own private conversations over email. Uh, so I would invite all of you in the audience uh, to to reach out either privately. Uh, to me, I'll, I'll throw it out there. I won't necessarily speak for the rest of the panel, uh, but also uh, join in on the actor community. There's lots of good conversations going on. Uh, and again, that's ni.com slash actor framework. Uh, mm -hmm. So that is the community where we're not only necessarily talking about purely actor framework, ni actor framework, uh, but just actor oriented concepts in general. Uh, so I'd encourage everyone to uh, continue this conversation. Let's not stop here. Oh, yes. definitely not. Yes, thank you. And uh, actor actor oriented development and design is uh, high on my uh, on my list of uh, topics to to learn about and and use more in LabVIEW. Um, thank you. And uh, again, a reminder to all: if you want to send feedback, send uh, on the show or uh, about any future topics you'd like us to get experts on and talk about, uh, send email to feedback at vishots.com. Uh, of course, uh, join the uh, mailing list at vishots.com/slash subscribe. 
And uh, all our archives, uh, video and audio, are available at vshots.com slash live. So you can listen and watch watch back everything that you've missed. Again, thank you all, and uh, bye-bye. Well, that's the end of our episode. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. And I would appreciate if uh, you would go to vishots.com slash iTunes and uh, leave, a feed, leave some feedback on this show and uh, give me an honest review as to what you think of the show. Uh, that's vishots.com slash iTunes. Every feedback and comment helps promote the show to a wider audience. Thanks again for listening and bye for now.